Thank you for joining New Life Fellowship Podcast today. We are a church desiring to expand the kingdom of God by making disciples. We pray that this message inspires you, build your faith, and hope that it will give you perspective to see that our God is moving in your life. Hope you enjoyed the message. Austin, and uh, I spent about three, four years studying there, and, um, you know, if I, if I were to encapsulate just everything that I did there, all the moments, you know, in the basement, writing 40-page papers, uh, preparing, uh, it's that I just wanted my life to count. I wanted my life to count. You know, when I look at my kids, Henry and Piper, like, I want my life to count, I want it to count for them. When I look at my wife, I want my life to count for her. You know, and, and I, I think about this church, I think about you guys a lot, and I want my life to count for you guys. I think about Bothell, I think about Seattle and all the changes, and I want my life just to count for this city. And I'm guessing this rings true for you today if you're here. Whether you're in school or working, whether you're married or whether you're single, you want your life to really count. We all want our lives to count. Now, we've been going through this book, uh, Philippians, in the series called Be Glad. And if I could just summarize the scripture that we're going to be looking at today, it's that Paul is telling us how we can make our lives count. You know, it's this rich section, this kind of culmination that leads. We're going to be looking at chapter 3 today. And Paul is telling Christians, you know, this is how you can make your life count. This is how you can make your life count. He gets at the heart of the book of Philippians, maybe even the heart of the entire Bible with this passage. And as we study it this morning, this afternoon, uh, you know, it's been a challenge for me, and, and I hope it's challenging for you. But, you know, I'm just so actually excited just to look at it and to kind of dissect it. And hopefully, hopefully... You know, this passage will illuminate what it means to be a Christ follower. So if we could just rise to our feet, we're going to actually be looking uh, from Philippians 3, 1 through 11. And I'm going to be reading from the ESV version. It's going to be on the screen. But after I read the text, uh, I will say this is the word of the Lord. We'll say thanks be to God, and then I'll pray before we get seated. Uh, But let me just read for us. Philippians 3, 1 through 11. It says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish." 
in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Now let me pray for us. God, we just come before you today and we ask, Lord, that your spirit just meet us in this place, Lord God. Illuminate this text. Illuminate our hearts. Teach us, Lord Father, what it is that you are trying to say. Be with me as I, as, as I preach your word that I can faithfully preach your text, Lord Father God. And I do pray, Lord Father, for all of us in this place that are just experiencing uh, sadness, Lord God. That we can be that be reminded, Lord Father, of the joy that is found in you, that we can be comforted, that there may be a sense of peace, Lord Father, that only you can offer. God, we thank you and we love you. In your son's name, amen. Amen, you guys can be seated. Uh, there's gonna be three points to the sermon today if you're taking notes. There's three points. The first point is that uh, false righteousness. Second point is true righteousness. The third point is striving for righteousness. So that's what we're gonna be talking about, Righteousness. Um, so Paul is in prison, and he's writing this letter to the Philippians. He's writing this letter to the Philippians, and he's warning them actually about this group called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers, they're actually very similar to the Pharisees. Uh, they're very moralistic in their teaching. Uh, the one distinction of the Judaizers was they just believed in their circumcision, that that was the mark of salvation. And so I'm going to use them kind of inter- inter- interchangeably. Uh, because of their same characteristics, but there, there were some differences. But Paul is warning uh, the church of Philippi of the Judaizers. He's warning them because uh, what they're teaching and what they're preaching is salvation not just based on faith, but salvation that's based on works. Salvation based on works. And so Paul actually says a lot of harsh things to them, and you guys know Jesus said a lot of harsh things about the Pharisees as well. But the thing is, they actually did a lot of good things. Did a lot of good things. You know, they followed the rules. They gave to the church. They gave to the poor. And, and I think a lot of times they, they get a rad rap. Like they didn't cheat. They didn't steal. They obeyed the rules. They, they actually did really good things. And so, you know, I, I wonder, like, why did Paul give such an intense warning about this group? Like, why did he give them such an intense warning about them? And, and I think it's because of this reason. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember 9-11. It happened quite a while ago. Um, I don't know if you remember where you were. Like, I remember exactly where I was. I was sitting in class, and it was this terrible event that shook our nation. Uh, but one week afterwards, there was actually these random attacks. There's these letters that were sent, and there's this powdery substance, and this powdery substance was laced with anthrax. I don't know if you guys remember this. And, and people would open it, and they would just, they wouldn't know, there's not, there's not that much powder, there's just a little bit, and so they'd open it, but anthrax is actually a really deadly disease. Like, the symptoms are similar to a flu, but then there's ulcers, there's nausea, there's blisters, and there was actually a handful of deaths in the U.S. And, and I think that's the reason, actually, why Paul gives such an intense warning, because the thing about anthrax is it, it looked very similar to baby powder, it looked like this harmless substance, and there wasn't that much of it, so it's really hard to tell. And I think that's why it looks, what, what the Judaizers were teaching, it looked actually pretty good. You know, isn't this what Christians do? 
Isn't this what anybody that loves Christ, isn't this what they would do? And I think that's why the warning is so severe because it's really hard to tell. You know, what they were teaching looked, oh, this actually looks okay. But, but the thing is, at the core, it was deadly. It was so different because unlike murderers, unlike, you know, people that steal, people that cheat, adulterers, you know, their unrighteousness is very evident. But this group, it wasn't very evident. At the core They were teaching something so different, something that was false, something that was completely false. And I think it's kind of like this. I've kind of been known as the pastor that does a little bit of outlandish illustrations. So I was hesitant to share this, Uh, but I'm going to do it. So in my hand, I have a $100 bill. So what happens if I do this? You guys are all looking at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> like everyone's like, oh my goodness, he just ripped up a $100 bill. The thing is, that's a fake $100 bill, guys. <laughs> I'm not that crazy. Um, so this is a real $100 bill. I'm not going to rip it up. It's Pastor Eric's. I told him I wouldn't rip it up. But this is a real $100 bill. Do you guys know what the difference is between what I just ripped up and what this is? From where you're sitting, probably very subtle. Very subtle. But this is, what I ripped up was a counterfeit. It's fake. It's fake. And I think, you know, that kind of represents what the Judaizers were teaching. Like, it looks so much like the real thing. It looked almost identical, and it was so hard to tell. And and that's why it was so dangerous, because what they were teaching was a righteousness that was false. A righteousness that looked good, but was false. Because sometimes, sometimes false godliness and true godliness look very much the same. You know, that's what they were doing. But, but the difference, guys, the difference is that their false godliness, it was actually rooted in, in pride. It was rooted in pride because, you know, what they were doing is they were saying, hey, look what I'm doing over here. I'm following all the rules. I'm doing all these things. I'm giving to the poor. But look what you guys are doing. You guys are the Gentiles. You guys aren't doing anything. And I think I see it a lot, especially in kids. I don't know if you remember if you had to line up when you were a kid and, and you know, you had to get in a line. The teacher's like, okay, you're in a line. And then there's always that one kid that just, like, cuts in front of everybody, right? They want to just cut in front of everyone. And then what do all the other kids what do? They're like, oh, he's cutting. He's cutting. And what they're saying is, hey, I'm following the rules. Like, I'm standing obediently in line. But that kid, that kid right there, he's breaking all the rules. And it's this pride. And I think that's what's happening with the Judaizers. They're saying, you know, I'm giving to the poor. I have this circumcision. I'm following these rules. But you Gentiles, you guys aren't. Look what I'm doing. Look what you're not doing. And I think this is so dangerous because, you know, we think that Judaizers and Pharisees were only back then. But actually, today it's it's very relevant. And and as I was just looking at this passage, I think there's just this dangerous side of Christianity that this passage reminded me of. There's this dangerous side. It's that we can learn how to do it. We can learn how to do it. We can depend on our morals. We can depend on our strength. 
You know, we could sing the chorus really loud. We could sing the chorus really soft. We can do all these things. And all these things are actually based in pride, that we can do it, that we can do it. You know, for the Judaizers, the, the most important thing was actually their circumcision. And I know that's kind of a weird thing. You don't talk about it every day. But in the Bible, this was a really big deal because it symbolized the covenant between those that weren't saved and those that were saved. But the thing is, over the years, you know, this has gone twisted because they felt like, okay, this is all I need. This is all I need and I'll be saved. Like, I just need to follow the rules. I need to do this. I don't need Jesus. Like, I'll be saved. And, and we're landing here, and Paul actually says some really, really harsh words to them. He says really, really harsh words to the Judaizers. In verse 2, look what it says. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He calls them dogs. He calls them evildoers. You see, dogs back then actually referred to Gentiles because Gentiles, which were the Philippians, they were mixed in their ethnicity. They were undomesticated just like the dogs back then. And they, they went away from God. And so that's, that, that word was actually used for the Gentiles. But Paul is actually turning it here and using it on the Jews and say, actually, you guys have it wrong. You Judaizers, you guys have it wrong. You guys are the ones that are mixed up. You're the ones that fell astray. And he actually calls them evildoers. You know, a, another definition is it's just workers of evil, another way to say it. It's workers of unrighteousness. And, you know, when I was studying that word, there was actually something that was interesting is Jesus actually doesn't use that word for murders in the Greek. He doesn't use this exact word. He uses it in this way. In Matthew 7, he says, many, of, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, this is Jesus, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Away from me, you workers of unrighteousness. And that's why it's so dangerous. And that's why Paul's warning is so harsh. And today, you know, there's similar groups that exist. There's people even within the church that say, actually, you know, salvation is not, if salvation by faith is not enough, you have to actually do these things. And they want to put you, you know, in bondage with this Old Testament laws. And just like the, the anthrax attack, it actually seems safe. It seems like, oh, that, that must be like the right thing to do. It seems non-threatening, almost appealing because we, we can control morality or being, being a moral person. We can control. And, and the warning is so harsh because this actually led a lot of people astray. It led a lot of people astray. You know, they had a theology of righteousness that was just rooted in this pride that they can do it themselves. And so those were the Judaizers that Paul were talking about right here. So, so what are the characteristics then of true righteousness? What are the characteristics of somebody that is truly righteous? And this is my second point. And Paul actually says it in the text in verse 3, if you're following along. He says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship God by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And I think Paul is actually saying there's actually two characteristics, two things that mark somebody that is truly righteous versus somebody who is not righteous. And I think the first thing is those that worship by the Spirit of God and they put glory in Christ Jesus. In other words, they worship God and serve him and they boast about Jesus and they give him the credit. 
you know, if you've been at church for a while, you, you probably have like a worship song or two, right, that like really hit home. Like when it comes on, you're just like, oh, Lord, you're so good. Like you have like those songs. Like I think all of us, a lot of us have that song that just really hits. And um, I think the misconception is when, when we use the word worship, that's not really what it's referring to. I think a lot of us think worship is, is like a song. It's Sunday service. It's, it's preaching the word of God. And it, it, it does include those things, but that's not it. Do you know what worship actually means? Literally, it, it means to bow down. Literally, it means to bow down. And, and, and what the text says, when I studied this word, it, it means to bow down and to serve God. It doesn't give a time or a place. It just says in everything, everything that you do, serve him. Somebody that's truly righteous serves God. So are you, are you serving God? Not just here. Are you serving him in your workplace, in your family? Are you serving him wherever you go? And you know that the service is the right kind of service because, because of what? Because there's fruit. Because there's the fruit of the spirit. There's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness that just comes out. Do you have those characteristics when you serve or are you just bitter? Are you, are you angry? Do you have joy when you serve? Do you have peace? Because true righteousness, there is fruit. You know, when I look at the life of Jesus, uh, he actually had this fruit. And if you look at the text, he takes the cross, he, he dies for our sins, but he has this tremendous sense of joy, tremendous sense of peace. There's love. He didn't do it grudgingly. He did it joyfully. You saw the fruit of the Spirit in his life as he, as he died on the cross. The first marker is service. The second thing is having the right kind of confidence. The second marker of somebody who's truly righteous is having uh, the right kind of confidence. And that's not confidence in yourself. It's, it's not having confidence in yourself, actually. You know, that's what Paul says. You know, Paul is, is, is looking at the, the, the Judaizers and, and what they're doing is they're having confidence in their morality and themselves. And what they're saying is true religion, real power in religion actually comes from doing all these things. Obeying the law, being blameless. That's where it comes from. And, and, and they would just compare each other's resumes and they do, do all these things because that's where the power of religion comes from. You know, recently on social media, I, I've been seeing this guy uh, just pop up, just articles about this guy, this guy named Johnny Kim. I don't know if you guys know this guy named Johnny Kim, a very ordinary name. Uh, and so the reason this guy popped up was, um, you know, he went to school in uh, University of San Diego, studied mathematics. Uh, he graduated and he, he went to uh, become a Navy SEAL, Navy SEAL for a few years. But that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough for this guy. He went to Harvard, and he became a doctor. And even then, that wasn't enough. He applied to become an astronaut at NASA, and he recently graduated. And so I began to study this guy's life. I was like, okay, let me just look at what this guy did, because that's a lot of stuff. Uh, and so at NASA, there's over 18,000 applicants. Over 18,000 applicants. 12 people got selected. Seven of them guys. So he's one out of seven out of 18,000 applicants. He's 
extremely accomplished, right? He's extremely accomplished. And so I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. This guy probably is single. This guy can't be married. He can't have kids. Guess what? This guy's married. This guy has not one kid. He has three kids. And do you know how old he is? He's 35. He's 35. I got a little bit depressed, honestly, because I'm almost there, and I was like, what have I done, Lord, like in my life? Like, what have I done? And, you know, somebody actually wrote this article about him. He said, oh, this guy, you know, Johnny Kim, he's accomplished, he's humble, he's a doctor, a Navy SEAL, and an astronaut. And then he wrote this quote, he can kill you, bring you back to life, and he could do it all in space. He has an impressive resume. You know, in verse 4, Paul lists off his resume and, and he lists off all these things. And I think it's hard for us to relate, but when people are hearing what Paul has done, that's the same kind of feeling. Like this guy, this guy got circumcised on the eighth day. This guy is a Pharisee. This guy persecuted the church. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. And if you're unfamiliar, it's, these are important things because being circumcised on the eighth day was the day that Abraham was, uh, was, was commanded to circumcise those that were saved. You know, let's read this passage. Paul says, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as the law, a Pharisee, as the zeal, a persecutor of the church, as the righteousness under the law, blameless, blameless, See, he was an Israelite. Not only that, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, which is like a very prestigious tribe. He was a Pharisee, so they knew that, you know, he studied. He's saying, you Judaizers, you guys studied? Like, I studied. But studying wasn't even enough. Like, I want to go on, and I'm so passionate about this that I want to persecute those even more, even more that don't know you, that don't follow the rules. And he says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, blameless, now, according to the Judaizer standards, he's perfect. He's perfect. And as I was reading this text, I think what was interesting is last week, Pastor Eric actually preached uh, from Philippians 2 about Timothy and Ephroditus, how they, you know, the role model sermon, how, how they just did some crazy things, radical things for Christ, that they almost died, actually. And then here in, in chapter 3, Paul talks about the Judaizers who do all these things for Christ, and then he talks about himself, and what's happening is there's just this buildup of all these things, like all these accomplishments. And then Paul says, I count it all as loss. I count it all as loss. Like all these accomplishments, everything that I did, I count it all as loss. And he tells us why in verse 8. He says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He counts it all as loss so that he may gain Christ. He counts all of his accomplishments, all these things. Like imagine if Johnny Kim, like, you know, an astronaut, doctor, husband. I heard he's a great father as well. He's like, all of this, I count it as loss compared to Christ. And what Paul is saying is, yeah, you know, these things are good, but it's nothing compared to Christ because with Christ, there's salvation. With Christ, there's joy. With Christ, there's peace. And all it requires, all it requires is faith. 
And, and this faith, guys, it's actually not in us. It's faith in Christ. And this is actually how we become righteous. Righteousness is not something that we do, that we achieve more of. It's actually just having faith in the one who is righteous. Let me say that again. Righteousness is not anything that we do. It's actually just having faith in the one who is righteous. And who is that? It's Jesus. And verse 9 says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, which are things that you can do on your own, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so righteousness is not this list of accomplishments or following God's commandments. It's faith in a God who is righteous. Now Romans 1 says, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And so to be truly righteous, it's just saying we need faith. And you can think about it like this. Like faith is, is the instrument that connects us to the source. Like, what is the source? It's Jesus. Faith is an instrument that connects us to him. And when we're connected to him, what it says is that we are sons and daughters of God. It's not about what you've done, but it's about what he's done. It's not about what you're doing. It's about what he's doing in your life. And there's nothing else that you need to do. Ephesians 2 says that you were dead in your transgressions, but because of God's great love, he made us alive in him to those that believe. It is by grace that you have been saved. You see, if righteousness depended upon me, if it depended on you, we would fail every time. We'd fail. But thank God, it's not dependent on us. The good news is it's not dependent on us it's not dependent on anything that we've done. It's on everything that God has done. Which leads me to the final point, striving for righteousness. You know, So you might be thinking, okay, if it's just by faith, if it's just by faith, if that's all we need, you know, what's the point of doing anything? Like, if you're a Christian, shouldn't you be doing these things? Shouldn't you have morals and shouldn't you follow God's commandments? Yes, and I want to highlight actually three reasons why, three short reasons, and we'll just close, of why we should do these things. The first reason is, you know, just like an apple tree bears apples, you know, we are to have the fruit of the Spirit. You know, we're not going to try any harder to be like a different tree. If you're an apple tree, guess what? You're producing apples. If you're a Christian, you're producing the, the, the fruits of the Spirit. The second reason is this passage uh, points to an eternal reward in heaven. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, there's this element of mystery in, in what will be received. And, and you know, I, I tried looking at, okay, what is this exactly? And there's just this element receive uh, mystery. But the, what is clear is that there will be a reward. There will be a future reward for the works that we've done here. And the last reason we strive for righteousness is ultimately because it pleases God. It pleases God. You know, my daughter is uh, four years old. She became four recently. Her name is Piper. And uh, she brings all these uh, crafts, a bunch of crafts to me all the time. And, um, you know, this week she brought to me, you know, this mask-looking thing. And she shows me these things. And, you know, there it is right there. Uh, to be honest, um, it's not very good. It's not very good. Uh, and, you know, 
Like, I love it because I'm the dad, but it's not very good. And if you compare it to, like, a great artist such as uh, Picasso or Van Gogh or any other great artist, uh, you can say, like, this is not very good. It's not very good. You know, she brought it to me this week, and she showed it to me, and I loved it. I loved it. I loved all those scary-looking black marks around the mouth and the red on top, and then she circled the paper unevenly, but she circled it. I love it when she pulls it up to her face and tries to scare me. You know, I love it because when she gave it to me, she's like, Dad, I made this for you. Like, so proud. So proud. You see, and I think this is how God feels about us. Like, when we present these broken things, when we present things that are just full of sin, but yet, you know, we're like, God, just take it. This is my offering to you. God loves it. Because, guys, it's through faith that we are made sons and daughters of God. It's not because of what we've done, but it's because of what he's done. You know, maybe you're coming here and, you know, you feel guilty. You're like, Pastor Kenny, you don't know what I've done in my life. You don't know, and, and that's right, I don't know. But I know a God who has overcome sin, who has died, who has risen from the grave, who says that if you have faith in me, you will be made righteous. Just have faith in me. You will be made righteous. And you're coming in this place, and you're worshiping, and you might feel a little guilty. You, you feel this, you know, oh, I'm not deserving. But I'm telling you, God is pleased. God is so pleased. And, you know, I started by asking, you know, how do we make our lives count? It's by faith. It's by faith. And when I was looking at the passage, the beginning actually ends with rejoice. And so the question, I'm like, okay, it doesn't seem like there's that much to rejoice in. But there's so much to rejoice in. Because the, the good news is that righteousness is, is not about us. It's not about us. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And if you want to make your lives count, I mean really, really count, remember that we have faith in a God who is able. Doesn't matter what your resume is. Doesn't matter what you've done. What matters is that you believe. Let's pray. God, we come before you this afternoon as sinners, as broken in need of you, God. We confess, Lord Father, that, that we have fallen, God. And, and I ask, Lord Father, that you just remind us once again of the hope that we have in you.